Hello and welcome into another installment, Bragging Rights. Here we're recapping week five, but I am not joined this lovely Monday morn by my beloved co-host, Justin. Justin has decided to go on vacation, which is to guys uh, who run middling college football podcasts, uh, what the off-season is to the casuals. You shall not say it. You shall not go on a vacation on a Monday during the college football season, but... I know Justin was nonetheless watching college football this weekend. We were texting vigorously during that South Carolina-Tennessee game, which I know he will have much to say uh, come later this week when we look ahead to week six. We're recapping week five today. We had quite the slate of games all around the nation, including in the Palmetto State, where one team won and one team lost. Uh, let the listener to understand. We will talk about those games in a second. Justin and I disagreed much this week, and we both came out on top in different regards. One of those, Utah and Oregon State. Are you guys Are you guys watching Oregon State? Are you guys watching the Pac-12? Like, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're a friend of Justin or myself or a family member or a loved one or uh, someone in the Palmetto State, and you've kind of gotten wind of a podcast as a few of you guys have, that's covering some of these local teams and this local storyline that's going on, you know, in-depth analysis, as I think it was last week that Justin kind of ragged me, or maybe that was two weeks ago, when we were previewing uh, one of Oregon State's football games, and I proceeded to go on a rant about the problems with DJ uh, and the narratives surrounding from the media, which we'll talk about more in a second. Or it was uh, maybe a week after that, that I, in the middle of talking about um, one of those games, I can't remember which one, I proceeded to talk about the unfortunate situation that the last two new starting quarterbacks um, at Clemson have been in. DJ's first game as a starter, uh, neutral site, but against, nonetheless, Georgia, who would go on to win the national championship. That would be 2021, obviously. Then this year, right in the season that we are in, Cade Klubnick takes over as the guy. Obviously, he started the Orange Bowl, which is, again, a tough spot to start in. But he starts the year the guy as the quarterback, and it's on the road on a Monday night against Duke, who is a good football team. As we saw, they they played well against Notre Dame. Obviously, beat Cade and company when Clemson came to town. Unfortunate spots to be in. Okay, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're from the area, you're a friend of ours, you are around the Palmetto State, you're thinking about, are you guys watching the Pac-12? Like, the Pac-12 has got six teams that could make playoff noise, two of which played on Saturday against each other. Utah traveled to Oregon State, Oregon State coming home after a loss, which is a dangerous spot for any team to have to play. You know, when you're going to the stadium of a good team that has just lost a close game to another good team. So Oregon State played host to Utah. They took care of business. Oregon State was favored by two. They won by double digits. They won 21-7, to so a low-scoring game. Uh, which we sort of, I think both of us thought this would feel like uh, Utah-UCLA just the week previous where Utah went to uh, or hosted UCLA and took care of business. But Oregon State uh, took care of business 21-7. to Cam Rising did not play. We thought, I I think I thought Cam Rising was going to play. Cam Rising still not playing for Utah, all those meaningful minutes. They're having the, the young guy, Nate Johnson's playing predominantly, the track athlete, really good runner. When Cam Rising gets in, guys, Utah lost. Watch out for Utah. When Cam Rising gets in, they're a physical team. They will play good defense, and they will play hard, and they are the back-to-back Pac-12 champs for a reason because they are a physical team. Now, Utah, likewise, a physical team. 
sorry, Oregon State, a physical team likewise. They love to run the ball. DJU, this is kind of the Palmetto storyline. Obviously, he transfers out there. They have a great run game, a pro-style offense, all of that kind of thing. And DJU goes 14 of 25 for 200 yards yesterday, a touchdown and an interception. You know, that's a good game. Uh, DJ has had some highlight moments, as we've seen this year, to which all of the uh, all of the networks were tweeting out saying, oh my gosh, DJ is fixed, as if he never had highlight moments at Clemson, which is uh, obviously you're not watching the games. You know, even Clemson fans, you guys, uh, uh, are, are suspect to be uh, outed whenever you start talking about DJ. You know, I was on campus a couple weeks ago for the Clemson-Florida State game. I'm obviously around Clemson fans all the time. Uh, people act like 2021 DJ was 2022 DJ. 2022 DJ came out on fire. Um, a couple, you know, a, a couple of slow games, but that Wake Forest game, you know, lit lit up the defense, played really well, uh, took care of business against NC State, got himself an NIL deal with Beats by Dre, still has that deal if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. But 2022 DJ was not 2021 DJ until that Syracuse game. And then he kind of regressed back to what he had been uh, for the predominant amount of his time there. And 14 of 25 for 204 yards, you know, one touchdown, one interception. That seems pretty reasonable for DJ. Uh, you give him time in the pocket. He's got all the arm talent in the world. He is a five-star athlete. He's got all the talent he needs to get things done. Uh, Oregon State had 130 yards rushing. That's kind of their MO. They want to run the ball. They are going to run the ball if you give them the opportunity. They took care of business that way. DJ gets involved in that run game, certainly. Utah, this was the big one. This was the uh, the key to the game. Utah's held to 57 yards rushing, which is impressive, considering uh, Nate Johnson, that quarterback, he, he wants to run the ball. Uh, he is a track athlete. He can move. Uh, he can spin it. He can throw it, but he can run. And so you hold the whole team, including some good running backs, and you hold them to 57 yards rushing. You're going to get to, you're going to take care of business. Too much time spent on this game. But guys, are you watching the Pac-12? I mean, UCLA, uh, USC, Colorado. Uh, we'll just go ahead and jump to that game. Uh, these are two teams in the Pac-12. Colorado going to leave after this year, but USC, USC is going to make some noise. I mean, USC has got a great offense. Caleb Williams is just amazing. This game featured great quarterback play on both sides of the ball. Shadur picked himself up after Oregon kind of smacked him around. Guys, are you watching the Pac-12? Last week, Oregon just absolutely dog-walked Colorado. You knew Colorado, again, after a loss, coming back home to host a big game. They were going to be in a dangerous spot. They were going to be playing much more inspired. I told you it was going to be closer than the experts thought. The line was 23 points. It was much closer than that, though not the entire game. USC was up 41 to seven at one point, um, and Colorado came back to make it a uh, a 41-48 loss. So they covered. You know, Shadur played really well, kind of picked himself back up. They still don't run the ball very well, uh, but they took advantage of USC's defense not being as good as Colorado or uh, not being as good as Oregon's. They took care of that kind of business. They couldn't pull out the win. You didn't expect them to pull out the win. USC has got the offense to make a lot of noise. You know, USC goes on, let's say USC goes undefeated and they are matched up against a Michigan or Georgia, um, you know, a really good team that has average to slightly above average quarterback play. I would say J.J. McCarthy's playing slightly above average and has played his career. I'd say Carson Beck right now is kind of playing average quarterback, but they're great teams, respectively, loaded rosters. What did we learn when South Carolina went to Georgia? 
when a when an average team has exceptional quarterback play, they can hang with and even shock a exceptional team that's having average quarterback play. That's how much quarterback means in the game of football, especially college football. Uh, USC with Caleb Williams, who is you know Pat Mahomes, uh, you know college version. It looks like. If they make it to the playoff and they've got a Michigan or a Georgia, you know, a team that is exceptionally built uh, talent roster wise and maybe is having uh, average quarterback play and USC's, uh, at least their defense is not quite to the same degree, but they have exceptional quarterback play. Just watch out. USC has no defense uh, or at least not against Colorado. Colorado was able to hang with them. A fun game to watch. Good for Colorado to bounce back. You're seeing the overreactions. Are you watching the Pac-12? Maybe that's what the title of this episode will be. But are you seeing the overreactions to Colorado? So Justin was right, I think. Week one, a team was going to overperform and get massively hyped. Uh, you could argue maybe that was Florida State. No, I think Florida State's a good team. I think going to Clemson and taking care of business was very impressive. Um, certainly, I think now the case could be made for Colorado, that that was, that, that, that was Colorado. They went to TCU, kind of shocked TCU, got a lead, was able to hold on to that lead. You know, yeah, the lead changed once or twice. They were able to hold on to the position they had put themselves in, and they beat, you know, at that time was a ranked TCU team, a pretty good TCU team. TCU is not nearly as down, uh, I don't think, this year as I would have expected. So they went there, they shocked them, they took care of, and then the whole world flipped. They beat Nebraska the next week. They beat Colorado State. They were undefeated going up against Oregon. They were top 20. And people were really overreacting. Then they got smacked against Oregon, who is a good, good football team, sound football team. And you saw the overreaction. Wow, Oregon never, or Colorado never had any right to be ranked. Colorado never had any this or that. Yeah, Colorado is not going to win the national championship. They're not going to win the Pac-12 championship. You know, but they're going to have a lot of momentum going into the Big 12 next year. A Big 12 that's losing OU and Texas. By you know, by the way, they have a lot of momentum. Colorado, the overreactions are happening now even then. When they were down uh, 34-7, 41-7 in this game, you saw notable big-wig uh, college football or just sports analysts in general. You know, was Colorado the most overtyped team ever? Was, was this or that? What a joke that we ever thought this team was ranked. And then, you know, they're able to score some points, and USC can't put them away because they have some talented players. Don't overreact to Colorado. Colorado's going to win a few more games. They're going to go seven and six. They're going to go seven and five, eight and four. They're going to shock one more team probably. Colorado's good. They're well coached. They have great quarterback play. You know what did we say? You know, let's say Cam Rising is still injured. You know, Colorado against Utah, maybe average quarterback play though they are a better team. And then you have a team with average roster but exceptional quarterback play. You know, Colorado could sneak up on one of these teams. So watch out. Are you watching the pack? 12. Why well, are you watching the Big 12? Uh, the Big 12, Kansas went to Texas. It was just two years ago, Sark's first year, I guess, uh, that Kansas went to Texas and beat them. Beat Texas in Austin. Uh, what a disaster that was uh, for all the Texas parties involved. Texas, I told you, was going to roll. Uh, Justin, di di Justin disagreed, although Justin di disagreed not knowing that Jalen Daniels was going to be out. Uh uh, Jalen Daniels did not even play in this game. The back, he was not warming up. The backup came in and played and played inspired. And the game was close, though if you look at the box score, the game was not really as close as the uh, score ever indicated. And then Texas took over in the late in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter. 
Texas this year has been prioritizing the fourth quarter. Uh, they have been loving the fourth quarter. Uh, the fourth quarter was where they scored 21 points against Wyoming. Yeah, you say it's Wyoming. Wyoming's not bad. They scored 21 points against Alabama in the fourth quarter and won that game in the fourth quarter. Years previous, people would say, you know, uh, about lots of teams, hey, if you get this team, you know, to the fourth quarter, if you're just hanging with them. Well, Texas knew that, and they lost a lot of games over the last two years with Sark at the, you know, as the head coach because they let teams like Kansas two years ago hang around into the fourth quarter, and they weren't putting them away. And so this year they have prioritized, we're going to take care of business when it matters most down the stretch. And their fourth quarter dominance has won them several games. Texas looks really good. They got a big time matchup this week against uh, Oklahoma, you know, obviously down Red River rivalry in Dallas. Are you watching the Pac-12 and the Big 12? Uh, two conferences that are having that are going to have some teams in the mix for this whole playoff thing, even though there's four teams, only four teams in the playoff. Notre Dame and Duke, this was our last ranked matchup of the weekend, ranked on ranked matchup. Actually, that's not true. We didn't even talk about a ranked on ranked matchup uh, that I will talk to you in just a moment. Notre Dame went to Duke. I told you it was going to be an absolute dogfight. It was an absolute dogfight. It was gross. Uh, Duke hung in there. Neither team looked great as far as uh, statistically. You know, Riley Leonard had like 130 yards passing. Uh, Sam Hartman had like 150 yards passing. That's not because either team was running the ball for 250 yards. It was just a dogfight. Two well-coached teams. Mike Elko, defensive mind at the head coach for Duke. Uh, the you know, Notre Dame's defensive coach, Marcus uh, Marcus Williams, uh, Marcus Freeman, excuse me, defensive-minded head coach. You know, you've got two teams that kind of want to slow the game down, want to get into the trenches, want to tackle well, want to be well-coached. And they did it. And it was an absolute dogfight, which I told you it was going to be. And Notre Dame won, which was really seriously in doubt. But Duke was uh, in normal team's field goal range. And I guess not their field goal range. Decided to kind of pooch punt on um, on a fourth and six from inside, you know, the 35-yard line or so. A long field goal. But they decided to pooch punt. And Notre Dame, 90 I guess technically it goes down as a 95-yard drive, though they were on the five-yard line and had a false start, which is from that distance, half the distance to the goal. So a 97 and a half yards they had to go after that penalty on first down, and they went down and they scored the touchdown all the way down to the 32nd mark. Duke gets the ball with two timeouts, mind you. I mean, that Notre Dame running back really should have gone down. Like, Audrey Estime right after Sam Hartman's heroic scramble on 4th and 16, which I don't almost don't even want to talk about. Uh, if you're a Duke fan, all seven of you that exist, you know, that's heartbreaking. 4th uh, and 16, you know, dead to rights. You had success pressuring the quarterback. Then you decide to only rush three. He scrambles out of the pocket. Then he sees 16 yards, and the boy from Mount Pleasant gets those 16 yards. Impressive. Uh, good for Sam Hartman, an absolute gamer uh, there. Riley Leonard was a gamer, and then you know, 30 seconds left, they got the ball, and he got sacked, and a high ankle sprain. We'll see when he can return. Doesn't look like he's going to play this week. Um, that could be notable. You know, Duke needs to lose three games if you want uh, Clemson in the ACC championship. Obviously, a couple of other teams. We talked about this a little bit last week. Duke's going to go on by this week. That's big. 
if if Riley Leonard is out for a week or two, uh, then they don't then they might only lose one game. You know, October fourteenth they host NC State. NC State, you know, couldn't couldn't trap uh, could not trap Louisville enough on Saturday on Friday night. Uh, you needed Louisville to lose that game if you were looking for a ACC title hopes, like a team like Clemson. You need some teams to lose. But Duke's got NC State on the 14th and Florida State on the 21st. Probably going to lose to Florida State, regardless of Riley Leonard playing or not. But you need them to lose three games if you're a team like Clemson. And um, certainly you don't want a guy like Riley Leonard to be injured. Uh, but it's good for Duke because you don't want him to be injured because you want to win those games and maybe have a chance at that ACC title. And he might only miss the bye week with a high ankle sprain. So good for him. I thought it was a shoulder injury because he got hit. You know, it was a fumble. He got a strip sack as he was trying to throw the ball. And then it looked like he was on the ground holding his holding his shoulder. And it could have been a shoulder stinger. You know, anything hurts in the moment. I thought it was something uh, far worse. So glad to see that he's not that way. That injury is going to be significant, though. If it is just a high ankle sprain and if he is just out for a week or two, that could be significant for the ACC title look, uh, look ahead. Louisville, NC State, we told you. Justin and I told you this was going to be a gross, disgusting trap game. NC State, Friday night, hosting Louisville, who was undefeated uh, to that point. And Louisville survives. And Louisville cracks the top 25 now. Literally, top 25, uh, number 25. Louisville survives. They took care of business. They did not get trapped. If you're NC State, maybe you start thinking, guys, should we just go in a different direction with the coach? You know, we told you about Mississippi State. Mississippi State and NC State are similar programs. They always seem to sneak up and beat somebody significant in their respective conference. They are trapped. Obviously now, ACC has gotten rid of divisions, and SEC is about to get rid of divisions. But for a long time, they've been trapped in a loaded division. Clemson, Florida State, both in the ACC Atlantic, Mississippi State over there with Alabama and LSU uh, and, you know, all the other teams in the West, Auburn, A&M. So, you know, trapped in the harder side of the division, so you never end up playing for your conference, though you always seem to find a way to sneak up and beat one of those big boys or beat somebody you shouldn't in your conference. But, you know, this year, Mississippi State, as we said, with Will Rogers, just, you know, they go into that LSU game, and they lost to Alabama this week. You know, uh, not really playing football conducive to being a middling SEC team that competes with the big SEC teams. If you want to do that, you got to do what Mike Leach was trying to do. Throw the ball all over the yard. Do something that a lot of these teams aren't able to do. Have a high-powered offense that is out-coaching and out-performing uh, some of these other teams that are out-caliber of athleting you. And they're not doing that Mississippi State this year. And NC State just kind of hasn't done that. So you wonder, maybe does Doran, is he on the hot seat? Maybe does he get fired? And do they go sort of in a completely different direction? Go get a really young guy who's an offensive mind, that kind of thing. Is that how NC State uh, gets up into actually competing for some of these ACC titles and things like that? Especially if you've seen some of the reporting that Clemson could be on the outs with the ACC. That would open up a spot for somebody like NC State to really compete. You know, so do you go in a different coaching direction? Oregon, no, not Oregon. Uh, a different A sound and G's, similar letters. The University of Georgia. The University of Georgia went to Auburn. I said Georgia was going to roll. I thought, you know, that half, that, that second half against uh, South Carolina was going to start propelling them to a different class of play. Although we did say... This is a tough place to play. And I was talking with an, uh, an Auburn buddy of mine Thursday, 
after we were, before we were about to engage in some uh, ultimate frisbee, which we lost, not unlike Auburn, uh, in a game we could have won, but just couldn't make couldn't quite make the plays on offense to do it. I said, you know, listen, that home field environment, obviously, Jordan uh, Hare, which that's fake. It's Jordan. But Jordan Hare, you know, that place is going to get raucous. If Auburn gets up to a 10 or 14 point lead like South Carolina, well, you're not at home in Athens. You are away in Jordan Hare. And so could it get interesting? It certainly did. Auburn was up 10 nothing. Then it was 10-10. Then right after the half, Georgia fumbles. Auburn gets it, scores in like three plays, a couple of quarterback runs. You thought maybe this was Auburn's time, but Auburn just doesn't have the offense and the quarterback play well, and quite frankly, the wide receiver catching to get some of this done right now. They're maybe a year or two away from really being able to win one of these games. They played their hearts out, but listen, Brock Bowers, you know, Brock Bowers probably could have gone high first, second round in the draft last year if he were available. Now, of course, he's old enough to go into the draft. He will leave this year and he will be a high draft pick. Tight end at Georgia. You know, Brock Bowers is one of those guys that's good to win you a game. Brock Bowers had 121 yards uh, receiving in the fourth quarter. You know, that you could hear it was literally in the third quarter. Georgia mounting a touchdown drive, which likewise was 98 yards. Uh, that was the flip of the game, the 98-yard touchdown drive. And about the 50-yard line, maybe they had just crossed over into Auburn territory. And, the, you know, the commentators, Gary Danielson, goes, you know, you, they're going to start looking to get it to 19. They got to get it to their best player. And then from the end of the third quarter through the fourth quarter, he has 120 yards receiving. You know, just absolutely took over the game. Brock Bowers is an electric talent. He will be a great NFL player. He is a great college football player. You know, one of the greats to do it on, at tight end. One of the great Georgia players of all time. You know, I'm sure he's somewhat frustrated, uh, maybe up until that fourth quarter, with the way he's been used some this year or lack thereof of use. But he's good to win you a game. You know, it's like Travis Kelsey or, you know, to go to a wide receiver like a Tyreek Hill. You know, he's good to win you a game. Uh, and he did on Saturday. We thought Georgia was going to roll. Justin used his famous expression of crockpot game. You know, starts off low and slow. And then after a while, you go, man, that thing is hot and cooked. And, you know, Auburn does probably feel a little hot and cooked. But certainly 27-21, much closer than most people thought. Georgia was a 16-point favorite. And they took care of business. They went to Jordan Hare. They got a win. You just got to win by one. Georgia is one of those teams this year that you're just thinking, win your games and get to that, you know, just survive in advance and continue to develop. You got a new quarterback. Uh, you got a lot of new pieces all over the field, obviously, but especially new quarterback, new offensive coordinator. They're going to start some games slow. You know, he's going to be rattled to a degree. He threw an early interception. You know, then you have a young transfer tight end fumble the ball first play out of the second half. Literally the first snap out of the second half fumbles the ball, gives, George, gives uh, Auburn the ball. You've got to just win these games and move on and get better. Take your bye week later in the season, win your big games, beat Tennessee, which will be a heck of a game, a dogfight. Tennessee will want to win that game. Just win in advance and get on to the next one and get better every single week. That's all you can ask for. And I think Georgia got winning a game like this better. You know, you see these great you see these great teams that win national championships go on the road and play in these hard, hard fought games. Uh Georgia did one, quite frankly, last year against Missouri. 
a good team. I think Auburn's better than we thought, better than we expected. Georgia took care of business. All right, we, there were lots of games that ended up being interesting that we didn't even talk about or preview for you. And I just want to call your attention to them because they could be meaningful. Okay, the ranked matchup we forgot to talk about last week, which ended up being one of the great games of the season so far. Ole Miss hosting LSU, and they took care of business. Ole Miss got out to a huge lead, you know, 21-7, 28-14. LSU stormed all the way back, took the lead at one point in this game. Ole Miss wins, last-minute drive. They win 55-49. They take care of business at home. Is this the game for Lane Kiffin? You know, I heard a stat. Lane Kiffin was something like 1-18 in ranked games, uh, ranked SEC matchups before this game, uh, or, or at least matchups against ranked SEC teams, right, because he wasn't always ranked, his team. Now, you're both ranked. You take care. You beat LSU. Is this the game? for Lane Kiffin. Likewise, what are we thinking about LSU? You know, obviously people were people were calling that game on that Sunday night uh, to start the season against Florida State, you know, a national championship preview. You know, are we just going to see these teams again uh, come January, you know, second Monday of January, whatever it is. And Florida State throttled them late in that, that fourth quarter dominance. It's not unlike Texas. Took care of business. Took care of LSU. Hot and cooked, ready to go. Now, you know, LSU has the big win against Mississippi State. I think people overreact to it. Then they eke out a win against Arkansas. But anytime you beat Arkansas, you're just happy you beat them. <laughs> and now they lose to Ole Miss. They're a two-loss team. Only one conference loss. Could still wind up winning this SEC West. Got to beat a team like Alabama to do it. What does this say about LSU? I don't know. You tell me. Alabama took care of Mississippi State. Alabama's dangerous. You know, you lose at home to Texas by, what, 10 points, 11 points. Texas is a good team. Alabama's dangerous. Alabama's going to get some teams at home this year. Bama, now they go on the road this week to Texas A&M. I think this week against Texas A&M, not to get too ahead of ourselves, uh, myself included, I think this week against Texas A&M is huge as far as what does Alabama season look like. You know, they took care of Mississippi State. You need to take care of Mississippi State, but it feels like everybody's taking care of Mississippi State right now. You go to you go to Texas A&M, who ever since that loss to Miami is playing some good ball. I mean, A&M throttled Auburn. Then Georgia struggles with Auburn. Yeah, I think they were, they were A&M was hosting Auburn, so that goes into it. Home field is huge in college football. But A&M's not a bad team. So you go in there and you take care of business against A&M, and you could be propelling yourself to win that West after all hope seemed lost when you lost to Texas Texas, and then, you know, looked not so great against USF. Yes, USF, not FSU, USF. Washington finally looked human. Are you watching the Pac-12? Like, Washington has just been throwing for 1,000 yards a game. I mean, my, Michael Penix has been just all over the place. The Nebraska, no, sorry, an Indiana transfer. Uh, we settled that a couple episodes ago. Washington finally looks human, only beat Arizona by seven points. Maybe are there cracks in the fissure? Maybe are they not quite as dominant as everybody thought? I think Washington's a good team. This Pac-12 is looking interesting. Who else is looking interesting? Oklahoma. Oklahoma's looking really good. Oklahoma took care of business against Iowa State. Yes, it feels like everybody takes care of business against Iowa State. But Oklahoma's looking good. They got a big matchup this week against Texas. Bowling Green beat Georgia Tech. Bowling Green beat Georgia Tech. That is sad. 
Baylor escaped UCF. There was a moment in this game where UCF was up big. Baylor came all the way back despite a heroic fourth down conversion. Just look that one up on the YouTubes and the Twitters. Heroic fourth down conversion by USF late in the game. Crazy play. Uh, Baylor took care of business, escaped. You know, Dave Aranda saving his job week by week, week by week. They won the conference two years ago. Maryland, undefeated, going to play Ohio State this week. Baby, baby Tua, uh, Tonga Vailoa, number two, uh, Tylea up there just wheeling and dealing. Maryland's 5-0, and and they're going to go play Ohio State. Iowa got, Michi- Iowa got Michigan State. Michigan State obviously without their head coach. This is a nothing year. You know, funny enough, you talk about the transfer portal. The transfer portal is not open right now, except for uh, when your coach gets fired. You get 30 days to hop in the portal, even in the middle of the season. Is anybody from Michigan State going to leave? Is anybody from Michigan State left to leave? Obviously, they lost Peyton Thorne to Auburn. That's the starting quarterback. They lost Keon Coleman to Florida State. That's the wide receiver number one. Is there anyone left to leave? They certainly can. And Iowa scored 26 points. They're only 11 points behind what Brian Ferentz is supposed to average per game in order to save his job. Missouri is undefeated. Missouri is undefeated. They got a big game this week. Watch out. Obviously, South Carolina's got them later on their schedule. Missouri's a good team. Missouri's undefeated. And uh, Luther Burden is an amazing wide receiver. Five-star going to go high in the draft. All right, one I skipped over. Kentucky just absolutely waxed Florida. And Kentucky's undefeated. Kentucky has got Georgia this week. That's going to be a big game. Now, it's in Athens, so you got a security blanket there for a guy like Carson Beck to be at home against a good team. But Kentucky's running the ball over the field. They've got Devin Leary at quarterback, although he's turning the ball over quite a, quite a bit. But it hasn't bit them yet, but he's a talented player. Kentucky's undefeated. They absolutely waxed Florida. Justin is not here to just revel in the Florida defeat as much as he would like to because of his obvious disdain for the coaching staff of 300 some odd individuals that they've got there Billy Napier 150 support staffers or whatever it is not and no support staff to stop the run against Kentucky Kentucky just ran all over them took care of business Kentucky's good Kentucky's got a culture you know there was some trash talk between South Carolina and 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 Kentucky over the last couple of years in SEC media days look for that game to be a bit of a revenge game later this year the Palmetto State played some football games. You know, this week, South Carolina's on bye week. Clemson is not. I will actually be at the game this Saturday. Clemson-Wake Forest. Uh, we'll talk about that one later on. Clemson went up to Syracuse this week. Justin told you the FPI was going to get exposed as a garbage metric. Clemson was going to win, and it wasn't going to be close. And, yeah, Clemson won 31-17. And it really wasn't that close. Clemson had a fumble. Oh, my goodness. Fumbles and field goals. When this season is done, whether Clemson finds a, you know uh, finds that other teams lose and they find themselves in the ACC championship and get revenge against Florida State and all that kind of thing, this season will come down to fumbles and field goals. You, you lose to Duke because a couple missed field goals and fumbles inside the five-yard line, uh, you know, nonetheless. You lose to Florida State because you fumble on a strip sack and you miss a field goal. Fumbles and field goals. They had a missed field goal and a fumble lost against Syracuse. Well, they took care of business. The offense is really starting to gel. I mean, this this was, you know, the Florida State game, I think, really was the gelling of the offense, at least against a Power 5, you know, uh, very good opponent. The offense moved the ball really well. The offense is top 20 right now, yards per game, all the metrics. They're, they're pretty good. 
the offense. Uh, Garrett Riley really has turned around that offense. And uh, there are some support staffers or or some um, assistant coaching position, position coaches that I think could use a change to take the offense to an elite level. But Garrett Riley just having a plan of play calling and game structuring has already changed that offense. The offense was really gelling. Tyler Brown, you know, Tyler Brown was a guy we heard a lot about coming out of camp. Uh, wide receiver, a late flip from the Greenville area, was committed to Minnesota. We flipped him late into signing, you know, the signing season, right before signing day. Tyler Brown, they, you heard a lot about him out of camp, having had a good camp, looking like a good wide receiver, uh, true freshman. He had the one kind of meaningful catch against Duke, the one kind of downfield throw that we were able to get off that game. Tyler Brown had it. Tyler Brown just went off. Eight receptions, 150 yards, you know, 20 yards on average uh, per catch, per target, and then per catch. Tyler Brown's a certified stud. Tyler Brown is probably the best wide receiver on the team. Antonio Williams has been out the last two weeks. You know, tough for him to be out against Florida State, out again this week. Tyler Brown's certified stud. Troy Stellato. That's another name you need to know. So Tyler Brown's a true freshman name you need to know. Troy Stellato, you know, Clemson high four-star. He was recruited by everybody in the country, and Clemson got him. And then for the last two years, he's had season-ending surgeries before the season even started. And then summer camp, oh, Troy Stellato's playing in, in practice. You know, he's, getting, he's getting reps with the ones in practice. Then right before the Duke game, he's out. Right before the Duke game, he tweaks a hammy. He can't play against Duke. High four-star wide receiver, super talented. Then he gets in against Charleston Southern, catches some balls, gets in against Florida Atlantic, catches some balls, catches some good passes against Florida State. Finally, gets his first career touchdown against Syracuse. Uh, the first touchdown of the game. Really one of those plays that you look for Cade to build off of. Cade rolling out to his right, scrambling third and seven from inside the red zone, finds Troy Stellato. Troy Stellato is a name you need to know if you're in the Palmetto State. As a guy by the end of this season could be playing a whole lot and by next season you know after another after finally getting in some game time you know that's a guy you've been waiting on for two years to play and he's getting it Cade looks like the guy Cade looks like the guy at quarterback I mean uh, he still makes some mental errors he still has only started like six games ever I mean Tennessee in the Orange Bowl last year and then the five games that Clemson has played this year it's only started six games you wish that every quarterback was Trevor Lawrence you know, Trevor Lawrence could have played college ball while he was still in high school. Just cool as a cucumber, bigger than everybody, you know, sees over all the line, all the offensive line, everything like that. You wish everybody's Trevor Lawrence or even Deshaun Watson, cool as a cucumber, Mr. Cool. Nothing phased him when he was, you know, at Clemson right in the pocket. But not everybody's that way. A lot of quarterbacks need to sit under a year. That's why you recruit them to sit a year under the guy that you've got. And, you know, Cade had that last year for the most part with DJ. But, you know, uh, still had to come in, still didn't get as worked, you know, uh, didn't get to start all of last year. So he's still figuring things out. And every game he gets better. You look at that Duke game versus the Syracuse game or even the Florida State game, it's as if there's a different starting quarterback at Clemson. And if Clemson goes 9-3 and three this year, let's say they drop one more game this season. Uh, but, you know, they go 9-3. and three, Win a bowl game, so they go. They go ten and three. You know that's that's huge. If Kate is developing, went nine and three in twenty twenty one. DJ didn't develop during the season. You know the run game had to develop. You had to win a lot of games on defense. Defensive scores went nine and three. Won. You know obviously uh, 
won the bowl game, so one went ten and three after winning the Cheez It Bowl against Iowa State in twenty twenty one. But you never felt like the offense or the quarterback was developing. Then, uh, but but now you got twenty twenty three, and Cade looks rusty and uh, uh, not great against Duke. Can't you know doesn't look good enough to get it done against Florida State. You know, obviously a couple of mistakes and just Florida State's a good team. So when this season is over, are we going to be saying, you know, man, that Clemson team, ten and two or or ten and three, good bowl win and Cade, you know, Cade's on a Heisman watch list, not just because he's got Garrett Riley as his offensive coordinator, but because he really developed this year. You could really see that. I told Justin, Justin thought Clemson was going to just blow this game out of the water. You know, Syracuse had no right to be on the same field. That was an expression he used. And I told Justin, I said, listen, if Clemson is kind of Florida State from last year, you think about Florida State last year, uh, Florida State beat LSU crazy, miraculously. They were 4-0, and then they lost to the they lost three straight games. They lost NC State, Wake Forest, Clemson, back-to-back-to-back. And all hope seemed lost. And then they won their last five or six games, and they ended the season, uh, I guess it would be their last five games, they ended the season 9-3, and then they won the Cheez-It Bowl against Oklahoma, and they were 10-3. and But the offense had developed, and the quarterback play had developed, and they looked, they had a lot of momentum going into the next year. They capitalized on that momentum with a couple of transfers. Clemson could be that this year. You know, let's say Clemson doesn't lose another game this year. Clemson's 10-2, and two, having beaten Miami, North Carolina, and South Carolina down the stretch. Let's say they don't make it to the ACC title because Duke or Louisville don't lose enough, enough games. Okay, that's fine and reasonable. I could see a reality in which that happens. Or maybe North Carolina only lost one game, and it was to Clemson. So they're still in the ACC title picture. Okay, that's understandable. You're 10-2. and two. You maybe go to a selection committee bowl. You go to a good bowl game, and you win. you got a lot of momentum going into next year as a team that's had you know got two losses early and was just able to develop kind of quietly all year long with some good wins. So Clemson took care of business. They got some swag from times to time, still some mental errors and fumbles, things like that. But Clemson looked really good against Syracuse, the start of things to come. They've got Wake Forest this year, this week at home. All right, the big one. I said it was going to be Clemson versus Florida State-esque. It wasn't quite. But South Carolina went on the road to face Tennessee. Tennessee was an 11-point favorite. And this game was was fun to watch, the whole game, certainly. But the first half was fun to watch. Tennessee scores early. Then South Carolina responds with a field goal. Then they get a turnover. Then Spencer Rattler scrambles into the end zone. And they take the lead. Then Tennessee goes down and scores. Like, it's 17-10 going into the half. But uh, South Carolina's got a minute and a half with a couple timeouts and Spencer Rattler. But the pressure started getting to him, obviously. South Carolina's offensive line was the story of that North Carolina game that they lost. I guess it was the story of the second half against Georgia. But Rattler gets when 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 South Carolina loses, which they've done three times now, it's because Rattler's you know spends a lot of the game on his back, right, or with a three hundred pounder on top of him, he gets hit. The pick six turned this game around. So minute and a half left, couple timeouts. You got you got some momentum. You got you got a chance to go down there and score uh, right before the half. And he's under pressure. He overthrows just a short kind of dig route type deal. 
corner, knows it's going to be an overthrow, so he backs off, he catches it, pick six, it's 24-10. That place, Neyland Stadium, is going crazy. That was the game. That that flipped the game entirely. South Carolina uh, could not recover from that loss of momentum and just that 14-point that deficit. You know, later in the games, uh, or at different points in the game, South Carolina would do things. You know, this game just felt like couldn't South Carolina do enough to win. Fake punt. And then four plays later, they're punting again or going forward on fourth down and not getting it. You know, fake punt not going anywhere is what is what I'm getting at. Just couldn't do enough to win this game. And I thought that would be the case because, you know, of how good uh, Tennessee, how much Tennessee was going to want revenge. We know what happened last year. The whole world knows what happened last year. It was crazy. We know what happened last year, and I'm not sure we know what happened last year. I mean, absolutely wild. South Carolina, 63, Tennessee, 38. Just crazy. Uh, uh, just an absolute uh, dog walking. The defense getting totally exposed. Funny enough, that, that Tennessee defense is not all that bad. and I, I mean, it was bad on that night, and it had their spots last year. But Tennessee's defense is getting overlooked. And it started in the Orange Bowl. You know, Tennessee, Clemson, Orange Bowl, Cade's first start. Led to the firing of Brandon Streeter because the offense, you know, couldn't score any points, all that kind of thing. Well, Tennessee's defense was getting some pressure, and defensive line was not, you know, they they were looking like an SEC team, right, with a with a good quality defense. And I think people didn't think that was going to be the case in this game. I don't think I thought that was going to be the case in this game against South Carolina. Their defense, you know, just getting overlooked quietly because Josh Heupel is a offensive mastermind. And their defense looked good today, or Saturday, in this game against South Carolina. Obviously was the difference. Justin will have lots to talk about. The pick six turned this game around. And you got to feel for Spencer Rattler. Because Spencer Rattler is just really good. I mean, Spencer Rattler is just really good. Uh, not as accurate, or uh, not as many completions in the first half this week as there were the last couple of weeks. You know, the last couple of weeks he was perfect or near perfect in the first half against Georgia and against... Mississippi State, not that way in the first half, but until that pick six was doing enough in a hostile environment, and you just got to feel for him because he's getting sacked a whole bunch, and the pressure, and they don't have as much of a run game as they could. Although Mario Anderson's really settling in there as that as that main running back, seventy-five yard touchdown house call later in the game. You got to feel for Rattler. He's super good. He's scary. Anytime you have a quarterback playing to the degree Rattler is, South Carolina is going to have a chance to win their games. You know, we're going to look at the schedules of South Carolina and Clemson here in just a second, the look ahead of their schedules. Both teams have lots of winnable games left. Both teams have several losable games left. you got Rattler playing at Rattler levels, and it can give him just a little bit of protection. Uh, they're going to be dangerous. They're going to be dangerous. Didn't like, didn't love the post-game, the post-game comments. Not necessarily the, this was Tennessee Super Bowl, because that's pretty much true. I mean... That was all the talk. You know, tons of Tennessee fans out on the landscape being like, no, 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 I bought tickets to this game because I want to watch us beat South Carolina after what happened last year. I bought tickets to this game. We're tailgating this game. My whole family's coming to this game. That was the talk for this game against South Carolina. This was definitely a revenge spot, even more than when they play Georgia later in the season. Though that place will be on fire for that game, don't get me wrong. But this game felt like, Revenge And Justin thought that was going to work to Tennessee's disadvantage. I think it worked to their advantage, certainly with the crowd and everything. But I think even the team felt like 
they were out for revenge. So I didn't care that Rattler said, you know, this was their Super Bowl, that that sort of thing. It's the immediate follow-up in that clip of Rattler saying things like, you know, our offense has put us in position to win and all this or that. Like Rattler, you know, some of the things with Rattler has, has been the intangible leaderships. You know, lots of talk after that documentary series with him from high school of, man, this guy is a punk, he's a jerk. Lots of talk about that. I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to comment on that. But the the question was, you know, can Rattler be a leader? And at South Carolina, he's been a much improved leader, even to what he was in Oklahoma. But he has these moments sometimes where he his body language is quite frustrated, not with himself, but with others on his team, frustrated with getting sacked and all that. And then he kind of expressed some of that frustration by saying things like, our offense has put us in position each game to win these games and things like that, almost to dig at the defense, but also not entirely true. You know, you only score 14 points against Georgia. You, Spencer Rattler, took a sack out of field goal range in a moment against Georgia when points could have really meant something. Same thing happened against Tennessee. Took a sack out of field goal range when points could have really been meaningful. So, you know, is he frustrated? I think so. I think he needs to improve a little bit of his. He just needs to be a little bit more self-effacing when it comes to uh, post-game comments and take some more of the blame, some more of the problems with what's happening. I think that would improve. You wonder if he's getting frustrated, but I think he'll move on, and I think he'll move on in part because I think he's going to have a fine NFL career. I mean, Spencer Rattler's got all the talent in the world. They're having a good season. We'll see where it goes from here. We'll look at their schedules remaining in just a moment. Joe Milton, I thought, was going to throw for 400 yards. Not not close to that, but Joe Milton had a fine game. Joe Milton was good, and he was also bad. You know, threw an interception early in that game over the middle. Accuracy is a problem always for Joe Milton, although he's a world-class athlete, and obviously the arm is something something to be uh, beheld, and caveman drawings about such a mythical arm will be had in the future when people are walking around. But Joe Milton, only 239 yards passing, which is what actually Justin thought was going to happen. The difference in this game was Tennessee had 238 yards rushing. I mean, Jalen Wright, 123 yards himself rushing. And not Joe Milton. You know, uh, I said Joe Milton was going to have 400 yards rushing. I don't know if it was in private or on the podcast that uh, Justin said Joe Milton might have 200 yards rushing. Joe Milton can run that ball. And Tennessee likes to run the ball this year. People think that they just throw it all over the yard. I thought they would against South Carolina, but people think that they just throw it all over the yard. But no, they like to run the ball. And Jalen Wright, a buck 23, Jabari Small, 59 yards. You know, like they had 238 yards rushing as a team, and Joe Milton only accounted for four of those. You know, that's impressive. That's, uh, that is not sack adjusted. He did have a 10-yard scramble. But they are running the ball well. They ran the ball well this week. And it bit South Carolina. And you know what, South Carolina, it's okay. I mean, I told I told South Carolina before the season, I told South Carolina fans and Justin included, you can lose to the three best teams you're gonna play and still win nine games. That was not South that was not anticipating a loss to North Carolina. That was anticipating losses to Georgia, Tennessee, and Clemson. Now North Carolina's a good team. So maybe you have to amend that and say, Oh, well, we didn't realize North Carolina was low key gonna be a fifteen uh, top fifteen team. Certainly, I thought after all of their defensive backs transferred, uh, North Carolina was not going to be as good as they are, but North Carolina is undefeated and cracking into that top top 15, and they've got a great quarterback. South Carolina's got a chance to win a lot of these games. Let's look ahead 
briefly, the schedule's remaining here in the Palmetto State. South Carolina's on bye this week. Uh, Clemson has Wake Forest. We'll talk about that game later in just uh, a few minutes on the next episode. And But after the bye week on October 14th, Florida's got uh, South Carolina's got Florida, and it's at home. Now, this could feel like Tennessee, right? Revenge spot. South Carolina's got Missouri. Missouri's undefeated. Might still be undefeated by October 21st. Uh, South Carolina has a hard schedule. I will say this. South Carolina has only, on its remaining schedule, two games that I know they will win. I know on November 4th, South Carolina will beat Jackson State. Jacksonville State. And then I know on November 11th, they will beat Vanderbilt. Both of those are at home. So I know you'll have back-to-back wins in the in, to start November. But the rest of these games are sketchy. You know, Florida, as they showed by beating Tennessee, can hang with some teams. Though I think South Carolina will get that one. I don't know about Missouri. I don't know about Kentucky on November 18th. And certainly as it stands right now, I think Clemson's a better team than South Carolina. Although, that'll probably be a night game in Williams-Brice. That's gross. Uh, that's trap game type material. Although, not really a trap game because you're not looking past it because it is your rivalry. But that'll be a hard place. Likewise, Clemson's remaining schedule... Wake Forest this week, then they're on bye on the 14th. And then you've got a tough slate. Miami, NC State, Notre Dame, all back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. That's a hard slate. But if you're thinking, maybe could we be a two-loss team that's making some noise, cracking into the top 25 and top 15 and stuff like that with some momentum, you got to beat Miami, which will be a ranked team probably still at that point. They are now number 17, NC State, Notre Dame. Then you got kind of a bye week with Georgia Tech, who just lost to Bowling Green. And then you end the season with North Carolina and South Carolina. Tough matchups. You got North Carolina at home, then you got to travel down to Columbia to play South Carolina. Both Clemson and uh, South Carolina have very could win the rest of their games, quite frankly. And they could also lose two or three or four of these games. So we will see. Well, Justin, quite frankly, if you're listening, this has been one of my favorite episodes to record because I just got to keep on talking. But I am excited to hear Justin's thoughts about this Tennessee game. He's got certainly probably more grieving to be done and more verbal processing that he would like to take place here on the podcast. But certainly I think he's going to have some good insights to be had. We will be coming back to you here shortly this week with a preview, a look ahead to this Saturday, which will have three, four ranked matchups, some big ones, and only one game from our two teams, two big teams in the Palmetto State here. But it's been a good one. It's been good to be back at it. Look forward to getting back with Justin later this week.